Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. Welcome back to the Blitz Podcast. I'm Steve Gallo, your host, and of course, as usual, joined by Harley Schultz. Harley, how you doing, my man? Well, you know, it was kind of a weird week in the NFL for me, so uh, I, I lost the game last night by .1 points, and it happened only because Houston didn't win in regulation. When the game went to overtime, Ezekiel Elliott got enough points against me to beat my team by point one, so yeah. a little bit, a little bit down in the dumps over that loss, uh, particularly since it's a uh, a, a fairly uh, long term league where there's a lot of uh, individual rivalry involved. But uh, otherwise, I mean, I'm doing okay. We've got good football on tonight for the second Monday in a row. It should be a fairly good game, and uh, uh it's MLB uh, postseason time. Uh, hockey season just started. NBA will be starting shortly. It's like sports dream season right now. Yeah, um, and I'm with you. I actually won a very close game in the Scott Fishbowl, 193.3 to 191.02, and I was sweating it out because my opponent had Deshaun Watson and Mr. Hopkins. So I didn't need well, I'm him. actually – I'm actually up in my Scott Fishbowl contest, but I could be in a little bit of difficulty here because uh, so I, I'm up 15 points, and I have Adrian Peterson going tonight. He has Michael Thomas going tonight, and That's after seeing that early hit on Peterson, I'm concerned <laughs> if he's going to be back out there or not. Luckily, both of our games are completely dry. Neither of us have anybody playing tonight, so I, I, I eked out a win that I needed so badly. But I know what you mean. I've lost games on quarterback kneel downs before. <coughs> Um, I've had that happen as well. You know, it's just, it's tough. Um, and that's actually a stat I wish that they'd find a way to get out of the game because technically they're not trying to lose yardage. They just want the clock to run. You know what I mean? Well, and if you look back uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago, it always seemed like when a team would go into victory formation for the kneel down, they would bring in their backup quarterback. Right. Now, recently in the last few years and whatnot, we haven't seen that. It's been the, I think it goes back to, what was it, five years ago when uh, Sean Payton had his D lineman trying to jump over the top of the uh, offensive line, trying to knock the ball, trying to cause a fumble on a victory formation. That might have been Tampa Bay. and, and Tampa Bay, Greg, thank you, not Sean Payton. My Greg, Greg Schiano or something like that, I think. Yep, yep, so. I, you're totally right. I knew it was NFC South. But <laughs> I had the wrong one. Well, I know that you know we're through five weeks Yesterday was a bittersweet day in the Gallo household because it was sweet in that the Browns got their first win on a Sunday in almost in over a thousand days, I believe it was so almost three years basically, um, where my wife has not been able to celebrate on a Sunday. And because it went to overtime, she wasn't able to celebrate. She went and buried her head in a pillow because <laughs> she couldn't watch it. And that kick, that winning kick, that is the epitome of look at the scoreboard because you don't. It doesn't matter how you got there. That was the ugliest thing I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen high school kickers this year who have kicked better-looking balls than that. Of course, it's, it was quite an interesting week for kickers all across the league yeah. with uh, struggles by uh, Dan Bailey in Minnesota. You had struggles, extreme struggles in, in Green Bay for Mason Crosby. And uh, then you have ultimate successes like uh, Graham Gano yeah. uh, kicking a 63-yard walk-off field goal to win a game when the Giants had to feel like the game was in their hands. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's been that kind of year for kickers in general. So let me ask you a question. If you were the Browns, would you cut your current kicker? Because he's scary. I mean, you can't have any confidence that it's going, he's going to put it between the pipes, right? Would you cut him for Blair Walsh? Yeesh. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I, it, well, here's the thing. I don't think you're going to get any more confidence by adding a guy like Walsh, so... Can you get any less, though? <clears throat> That's true. You, you probably get a little bit more distance, at least, a little more leg strength. But I, if, I was, if I was them, uh, 
you just kind of look around and think to yourself, somebody's going to emerge as, as just like a sneaky pickup. Like kind of last year for the Vikings, it was picking up Kai Forbath, who, right. who came in and was basically automatic for the team. Yep. He's still sitting out there, as far as I'm aware. I'm kind of surprised no one's gone after him. Um, yeah, here's how I see it, though. People know it's just a kicking game. It's not that important. It will permeate the rest of the offense. Oh, totally. Because and again, I mean, one uh, that's the type of thing that's like when, when your offense leads the ball down the field and you end up like stalling out for whatever reason, yep. your fault or the good defense, and your kicker goes out there and just pooches it, then, I mean, that basically uh, – that you go back to the sideline and everyone is, is bitching and moaning about it because – they didn't get any points on that drive. Well, and then what happens is now your quarterback's going to look to possibly force throws that he shouldn't throw because he doesn't feel like I can settle for the check down, only get five yards on third and eight, and we'll kick a 43-yard field goal. Um, the other part is you got a running back or a receiver that's now they, – they, they always fight for extra yards, but now you're going to fight a little harder, and if you do that, you probably open yourself up to more fumbles and such. So it's just. Well, of course, we're, we're, so we're talking about kickers right now, and on the very first scoring drive of this Monday night football yeah. game, Will, Will Lutz misses, misses the extra point. And uh, d- just to, as another piece of information for our listeners, uh, a- as we're listening right now, uh, superstar second year cornerback uh, Marshawn Lattimore is just uh, escorted to the uh, backstage area. So I don't know if he's going in for some tests following a big hit on. Uh, Oh, looks like he went helmet to helmet with his own yep. linebacker, Klein. So he's he's definitely doubtful for the rest of this game. Uh, yep, I think he's definitely going to be in concussion protocol. I'd be shocked if he came back. Actually, um, so anyway, that's you know that's where I think that you can have those types of things. The other thing is, real quick, since we're talking about what it does to the psyche of a team, when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, right, or Tom Brady that you know, or Drew Brees that you know is extremely accurate. The receivers know the ball is going to be where the ball is supposed to be, right? Yes, yes. Makes it easier for them to catch the ball. When you see a bad team or a team that's got a quarterback that's inconsistent and you go, it hit him in the numbers, it hit him in the hands, how could he not catch it? It's because of that lack of consistency that they're not sure where that ball is going to wind up, so they can't just look it in as they say to do. And I think that that's where those lapses come from. So that just shows how much of a mental game this is. Um, but I know there's a lot of physical stuff also, of course. So because of that, and we had a lot of stuff happen injury-wise, et cetera, I'm curious to see what you have to say in this week's BPN News. So take it away, Mr. Schultz. Thank you, Steve. The usually reliable Mason Crosby missed his first five kicks Sunday. In response, Green Bay immediately issued him a five-year contract extension. When asked about the extension, Green Bay General Manager Ted Thompson replied, one of six today, that should easily rank him as the best kicker in our division. (laughs) Following quality performances by both Ryan Griffin and Jeff Schwame on Sunday night, the weekend tight end class may have gained a couple new streamable options. The two combined for nine catches and 120 yards, or roughly the production of the New York Jets tight ends all of last season. (laughs) The buy low window on David Johnson may be closing fast as Johnson posted an okay stat line to go along with a pair of scores this weekend. The two touchdowns give Johnson five scores on the year, which ties him for third among running backs. Based on touchdowns alone, Johnson is worth owning. After all, he is only one offensive touchdown behind the Buffalo Bills. (laughs) Carrion Johnson exited his matchup with the Packers in the fourth quarter with an ankle injury. Fortunately for Johnson, he stated following the game that his ankle was just fine. Unfortunately for Johnson, as well as millions of angry fantasy fans, LeGarrette Blunt also stated that his ankle was just fine. And finally, Coach Bill O'Brien has stated that Lamar Miller will be active for Week 6 against the Buffalo Bills. Of course, Miller was technically active Sunday night, 
but he did not play any snaps of football. Alfred Blue looked fairly good in place of the oft-injured Miller, but O'Brien refuses to let something like talent, success, and skill affect his coaching decisions. This has been your BPN News Update. <sighs> I'm not sure how Bob still has a job, but that's, you know, Bill O'Brien, Bob, if people don't know or get that, but yeah, whatever. Tom Savage should have been his dagger last year. <laughs> well, I hope I wasn't too savage with those news bits about him. <laughs> no, they were pretty good. You had me laughing on a couple of them. <coughs> um, I, I will say this. I didn't talk about it. I know you're probably happy because the Vikings won. Um, wasn't very good. That was the bitter part for us in our household was that the Eagles lost to the Vikings. But it was one of those games that was so weird. It was 23-21, right? So it's a close game on paper. Yes. The Eagles gave up a defensive touchdown. So you take that and so it was what, 23 points, take that off and it turns it to 16 points, right? Yes. So the defense gave up 16 points. That's not bad, but they missed how many field goals? Three? Yeah. Two? Uh, two. Two okay. field goals. So now you add another six, now they're back up to 22 points. And they fumbled the ball at five and gave it away, so they lost points. The game felt like it should have been like 35-17 Minnesota. Yes, I, I totally agree. And, uh, I think that uh, it, it could have actually got it. It could have been thirty five sixteen, but also could have easily been like thirty five twenty seven, thirty five twenty eight. Yeah, it seemed like both teams left a lot of points on on the carpet there. It did, but the Eagles never seemed <clears throat> to feel like they were truly in that game. So the fact that they had the chance at the end um, was just amazing. And Doug Peterson got to give him props though. I mean, more coaches are going to start doing this, but they've got to play the analytics. Going for two when nobody expected it. And I think that with you go back and look at how many times kickers have missed extra points this year. I think we yes. should see teams going for two more often. I don't care if it's early in the game. Do it. If you're Cleveland, well, you should go for two every time. <laughs> well, as you say, Mike Tomlin kind of took that to the extreme a couple of years ago. So it, it has been attempted going for two on pretty much every attempt. Uh, but again, I mean, last year we saw situations where kickers were injured mid game and linebackers like Mike Heath came in and kicked successful extra points. So it's like, do you yeah. trust your kicker? No, not really. Uh, unless you, you've got the the chance to have a perennial superstar like an Adam Vantieri or a Justin Tucker, uh, Matt Prater. I'm trying to think of the yeah. guy for Atlanta who's been there forever. Matt Bryant. Matt Bryant, thank you. Uh, those guys, it's like you, you go out there, you trust them. They're going to go out there, they're going to kick – if they make a mistake, 95% of the time it isn't their fault, really. Right. It's never anybody's fault in today's NFL, though. Just ask OBJ. Exactly. So um, I'm not sure if we'll probably talk about this because we're going to talk about running back by committee, right? We're going to go through all the divisions because there's like, <clears throat> what, three teams that have true bell cow running backs? Well, so I, I actually went through all the teams, and what I was amazed to find is that there's 21 teams right now that are actively using what I would consider a split backfield. Now, it, it does include a team such as the Los Angeles Chargers, who do have a bell cow back, but who have a secondary back who also is touching the ball at least 10 times or 12 times a game in Austin Eckler. So th there will be certain situations like that, but it, it's just amazing to see that 21 out of the 32 NFL teams do not have a quote-unquote true bell cow in their backfield. Now, before we get into this, I will tell you that, sure, having a backfield like, say, Zeke or Fournette if he's ha healthy or Saquon Barkley, yeah, that's optimal, right? Um, exactly. But if, a, if it's a timeshare with two people, I'm okay with it because you know what everybody's roles are. It's when there's three or more, like New England tends to have, although not lately, um, that's when you, I'm staying away with a 10-foot pole. Okay, well, let's start ourselves out with, uh, since you mentioned New England, let's start with the AFC East. All four teams in the AFC East would have what would one would be considered a backfield by committee. In Buffalo, Chris Ivory is touching the ball just about as much as LaShawn McCoy, and realistically, you probably don't want either of them anyways because the team sucks. The Jets have been splitting the carries between Bilal Powell and Isaiah Crowell. In New England, uh, due to the injury to Rex Burkhead, we've seen a split backfield between Sony Michelle 
and James White. And down in Miami, for some ungodly reason, oh. the undead corpse of Frank Gore is still stealing, stealing touches from Kenyon Drake. They're saving Drake for the playoffs. Playoffs? What playoffs? Yeah, exactly. Playoffs. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. Um, in those situations, really the only – there's only two players. Uh, there's three. There's four. It, the, there's actually only two players that I truly want that I'll start on a weekly basis. They both play for New England, right? They do. And, and exactly. Because <laughs> I think that it, otherwise you're looking at any of those guys as flex options that are extremely risky. McCoy, because of a bad offense and injury. And now Ivory also. I think Ivory's role is probably a little bigger because of the injury that he's dealing with, um, yep. with the ribs. Um, and the, the Jets, it's just, look, they may be building and going in the right direction, but again, it's a bad offense that doesn't lead to good game scripts. Take off, we, we were talking about last night, take off those three big runs, which I know they happened. I know that, people. But 219 yards all of a sudden turns into 52 yards. Well, and, and a huge mea culpa out to everyone that we told the bench, Isaiah Crowell, this week. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> no one could but, have possibly right, exactly. foreseen that happening. And, and Denver, to, to some degree, as we talked about those three large plays, if you watch, there, I mean, I, I could count on two hands the number of missed tackles <laughs> those yeah. three runs. So so that's how we feel about three of those four teams. In Miami with Gore and Drake, for me, I'm not worried about Gore. I, I don't want Gore. I wouldn't want to rely on him. I, I Seriously, I would just go a whole other route if I needed another running back. But I th- still think that Drake has value going forward. He's not somebody I'm dumping for peanuts. Um, he's somebody I'm stashing because I do think that he's got some late season heroics fantasy wise for people. He will come to the top by the time Frank's needing oxygen just to get to the sidelines. So here's an interesting question. A, a lot of fantasy analysts have been very vocal on Twitter about the uh, playing by Gase of Drake. Uh, who is more popular right now? Drake, the Miami dolphin or Drake, the Canadian rapper. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm too old to know Drake the rapper, but probably Jake Drake the rapper. Okay. Uh, going into the AFC North, where two of the teams actually have a quote-unquote bell cow back, that being Pittsburgh, currently with James Conner, and Cincinnati, currently with Joe Mixon. Now, both of those teams have a bell cow back because their other back is out of commission right now. So... They really have no one else to challenge for touches there. However, in Cleveland and in Baltimore, we've got a whole lot of mess to deal with. Yep. Um, Buck Allen's the better value in, Cle- in in Baltimore, rather. He really is. Um, but I still like to think that Alex Collins has got some value going forward, but maybe that's just me attached to last year and I'm not able to, to wipe my mind clean of it. Um, but Buck's a safer play from a flex standpoint. In Cleveland... Hyde has been solid to plus solid, but at some point, don't you think Chubb's going to work his way into that lineup? I, I think he already has, and uh, they, they talk about wanting to use Duke Johnson more. I mean, maybe they'll mm. use him more in the passing game. But Yeah, fourth touch in overtime, I think, or fifth touch was in overtime or something for him. So, <sighs> I, I, yeah, I mean, if you have Hyde, you've got you to plug him in when you can because he's performed, but... I think that we could see some of that value get drained as we go forward. He might be a sell high for me, honestly. I totally agree there. Um, okay. Uh, in the AFC South, uh, I, I have labeled the Jacksonville Jaguars as the only team that has a true bell cow back. And now that bell cow back is injured for the time being, yep. promoting another individual to being bell cow back, and that's TJ Yeldon. Go ahead. We have three other teams, however. Tennessee. Indianapolis and Houston who have all started sharing the rock among two and in some cases three different players. So in Jacksonville, the other thing that benefits Yeldon and or Fournette when he comes back healthy, if that ever happens, Corey Grant wound up on IR. Yes. So while Fournette's out, Yeldon really is the true bell cow. Yeah. I think they had one player, one other running back active, uh, Besides their fullback Brian Bahannon yesterday, um, I want to say Zach Wild, but no, that's actually the guitarist. Uh, it's something wild, and unfortunately, I feel like a wild and crazy guy if I was actually going to pick up this individual. Yeah. So 
it, it's TJ Yeldon's show there for the time being. Absolutely. But in Tennessee, you've got two running backs who eat into each other's touches so badly that you really I don't like either of them now. So so here's what I see Tennessee. Tennessee to me is a mirror of New England with less talented backs. Um Deion Lewis may be on par with James White, although New England let him go for a reason. But Tennessee doesn't maximize his value the way that New England does with James White. And Derrick Henry just has to have perfect game script to have his value. He can't just break one, take it to the house like Sonny Michel can. So, yeah, I mean, again, those two are flex options. But more often than not, I think you're going to be a little disappointed with the overall production that you get from them. How about the uh, three-headed, perhaps even four-headed backfield monster in Indianapolis? I want nothing to do with it. I know Hines has done well the past couple of weeks, but I would sell high there in an instant. Um, I still would look for Robert Turbin as if you can stash him. Because, look, injuries happen, and if that, if not, if not, Hines were to go down, I think Turbin gets a great big role. Um, but yeah, I'm staying away from it. It's just not worth it. I told you, two's okay, three, forget it, four, no way. Okay, and then in Houston, Alfred Blue starting to take touches away from Lamar Miller, who was injured. Um, Blue looked like the better back, and he's looked like the better back all season, for that matter. Plus, we have the looming ghost of Deontay Foreman coming back soon. We do, and I'll be honest with you. I'm sh- I was shocked that it was Alfred Blue that Houston went to. Based on an interview I heard with um, Bill O'Brien earlier this year, and he did not mention Alfred Blue at all. Not at all. Um, he was, he spoke very highly of Tyler Irvin, um, if I remember correctly. And because of that, I made a speculative grab and stash of Irvin, but it's clear that he doesn't think that much of him because he's, he's willing to give Blue who he trusts more those carries. So um, I'm staying away. I didn't have, I told you earlier this year, I wasn't really keen and high on. Miller, he was just kind of a, eh, he's not going to be a difference maker. I feel the same way of Blue, and at worst, it's just going to eat into Miller's, Miller's carries when he does come back. And let's uh, segue into the last AFC division, that's the AFC West, where uh, Kansas City clearly has a bell cow back in uh, yep. Kareem Hunt, and Oakland technically has a bell cow back in Marshawn Lynch. However, we have seen Jalen Richard get a little bit of play lately in the passing game. Uh, in reality, you probably don't want either of those two because right, that offense good. is a yes. pain in the butt. But then you've got two teams in the Los Angeles Chargers of San Diego and the Denver Broncos who each have a split backfield where both players are regular starters in fantasy. Yeah, and I think that Freeman and Gordon are easily they're, – they're safe. You can put them in as running back one, running back two, running back low, running back one for Freeman – and I think Eckler is going to continue to have some of that Darren Sproles type value going forward. Um, he will have weeks where he just doesn't, you know, he gets two or three catches and that's about it for 12 yards and it's going to happen. But um, I have no problem using him as a solid flex at this point. And then Lindsey, he's just, he's small. So I own him, ride the train while you can because he's being productive. Game scripts helping them, I believe, in that instance since he's a passing down back. Um, what you don't want to see is Denver getting out the big leads and then just feeding Royce the entire time and Lindsay not really needing to do much. Okay. Cutting across the NFC now and in the NFC North, only one team truly has a bell cow back. And that team is has a high mark this year of 42 yards rushing from that back. And that's <laughs> Latavius Murray in Minnesota right now. Uh, unfortunately we, we know that when Delvin cook is ready to go, Latavius Murray will be nothing more than a change of pace back again, and the role will be Cooks. But we don't know is how soon that will happen. Every other team in the NFC North, however, is is stuck with two or three running backs working for them. Green Bay with three, Chicago with two, both of whom are actually, I think, are startable most weeks. Yep. And Detroit with really zero. Yeah, I mean, LeGarrette Blunt's got just enough value to ruin carry on Johnson's value, but not enough that you could trust playing him because you just can't. You can't guarantee he's going to get those touchdowns on a weekly basis. I and mean, um, this isn't the this isn't nineteen ninety. It's not a league where we draft Mike Allstott in the second round because he scores touchdowns. Right. I mean and in in Chicago I think you're safe starting both Jordan Howard and um Tariq Cohen. Cohen's value has taken a hit this year because I think Jordan has shown that he can catch the ball a little bit better. 
Um, and I Although think, this past week, I think the script was reversed and Cohen got most yes. of the work and Howard didn't get very much at all. Yep. And, and it was a weird script because they were up big. So th- that whole game didn't make any sense. Um, but going forward, I think they're both startable. I think Howard's a, little, a, a running back two that could show you some running back one upside occasionally. And Cohen's definitely a flex option. Um, in Green Bay, I know I don't stand alone when I say this, but I have no clue what Mike McCarthy sees at running back. None. <laughs> Aaron Jones, I know we were wrong about him this past week. He had a you know, cake matchup and he crapped the bed. He is clearly the best runner of that bunch. I think Can you best- really say crap the bed? He actually had good numbers when he was on the field. Yes, just not enough of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think on the year I saw a tweet where it said something like he's caused like 18 missed tackles and barely like 40 touches or something like that. And Jonathan Williams has one in like almost three times the amount of touches or something. One missed well, tackle. I, the, th- the thing to remember too is that when you look at their career numbers now, uh, by an average basis, Jones is averaging nearly two yards more per touch than Jamal Williams. So, okay, so what I'm getting at is I'm still willing to sit on Aaron Jones because the cream has to rise to the top. And here's the other thing. Everybody says, well, Jonathan Williams can block. Do you know how many times I, I, I saw on Twitter that somebody said that they asked their running backs to pass block this weekend? It was like one. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Jamal Williams wasn't even the guy they asked to pass block. Well, it, it helps, too, that Green Bay is starting to get their offensive line healthy again, which yeah. – uh, gives Rodgers time to throw to a bunch of know-nothing receivers and Devontae Adams playing on half a calf. So I'll say, if there's anybody out there that's frustrated with Aaron Jones and you could trade for him cheap, do it. Okay, uh, let's go out west, where half the teams have a bell cow back and half don't. The Rams and the Arizona Cardinals both have featured backs in Todd Gurley and David Johnson. But San Francisco's using a split backfield, and one of their two backs is got about 16 different melodies currently. And Seattle is using about 16 different running backs, and none of them really know what's going on there because, well, Pete Carroll. So with Seattle, it seems like each one of them can have value at some point. I'm not playing that game. I'm not playing Russian roulette with my running backs in Seattle. I'm avoiding them like the plague. Um, as far as the Rams, yeah, Gurley, of course, Here's, here's a trick that I'll tell people, though. If Gurley – God, I don't even want to say this. Let's not say this about Gurley. If a running back – John Kelly. If a running back – were if, if Le'Veon Bell was playing, okay, he wasn't holding out, he was the, the running back, and John Connor was getting zero touches a week, right? Yes. What I would recommend is on a weekly basis, look at your roster, your end-of-bench person, okay, that you're not starting, that – He's just there because you need to fill out your roster space. He truly is somebody that if you had to cut him, it wouldn't bother you. Every week, what I would do is going into the game, right? So if you have open waivers, if, say, Bell played at 4 o'clock or at 8 o'clock, say 8 o'clock Sunday night, I'm dropping that player if he hadn't played. If he's going to play 4 o'clock, then he had to do it at 4 o'clock. Dropping that player, and I'm picking up John Connor, right? Yes. Yeah. That way, if anything happens to Bell in the game, you're safe. But then you can drop him the very next day, right? Pick up somebody yes. that you think may have a role if you need him to help cover a bye. It works out, okay, I don't because my guy was he was questionable, but he's, he was able to play, so I don't need him now. Do the same thing week in and week out. As an example, I've done that with Jordan Reed this year. I haven't rostered Vernon Davis 100%, but every week before the game starts, I look at who I can drop and I pick up Vernon Davis right before the game starts. So if Reed that's were to go down... That's taking handcuffing to a whole new level, folks. Yes, it is. But that's that allows me to keep... Because there's times when you have people that are questionable, right? You don't know if your guy's going to go. Yep. Four o'clock, you go, okay, he's active. I'm playing him. I don't need this guy this week. So I'm going to drop him now. I'm going to pick up Jordan Reed. So if something happens... I mean, pick up Vernon Davis. So if something happens to Jordan Reed, I'm covered and don't have to spend all of my money on him to get him. Okay, how about that San Francisco backfield? Uh, Breed is the one where the value is at, but he's hurt again. So, I mean, I don't think they're going to have good enough game script to make Alf a safe play. Uh, but as long as Breed is hurt, he'll be okay to get touches. So, begrudgingly, if you own Alf, you play him while Breed is out. But once Breed is back, you don't play him. Yeah, and, and I, I look at Breeder right now, and he's kind of like the uh, brittle the night 
the the knight from uh, the Monty Python's uh, meaning of life where he's like, it's just a flesh wound. And he's missing all four of his limbs right now because literally every single body part on Matt Breda is injured, broken, fractured, torn. But he's he's still going out there. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, and I call him Brittle Breeder, but I shouldn't have done that because he's actually a tough SOB. He has played through some stuff, so um, and he's been solid when he's played. It's just it's a shame Jimmy's out. But so that's okay, how I we're feel gonna about. go cross country now from the west to the east. Look at that! I got cut off by Harley there. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Uh, cross country out to the east, where Washington uh, is playing with two backs currently. Uh, obviously, the Giants have Saquon Barkley. He's the only show in town there. And uh, Philadelphia lost one of their backs from their committee today to a torn ACL. We'll talk a little bit about that here yep. and how that affects it. And then finally, uh, how come I can't think of the fourth team in the uh, NL East now for some reason? Because they're the ones with the bell cow, Zeke. Zeke, exactly. Zeke and Barkley, not going anywhere, obviously. But how about the injury to Jay Ajahi? So, how about we talk Washington first? Because there's more to talk about with the Ajayi thing, I think. Go right ahead. I think the AP, whether it's standard or PPR, still has value. And PPR is limited, though, because he's going to be game script dependent. Chris Thompson's going to have value, kind of like what we talked about earlier with um, Austin Eckler, where most weeks he's going to be very involved and the, the catches are going to give him value. But on occasion, he'll wind up with a two or three for 12 yard stat line where he just doesn't come through. Um, so I think both those guys are rosterable playing as running back two slash flex. In Philadelphia, you know how I felt about Corey Clement earlier this preseason. What did mm-hmm. I call him? I called him a league winner, right? Yep. Unfortunately, right now he's injured. I still feel that with Ajayi going down, that that possibility stands. But Wendell Smallwood has really come on of late. Problem in is, the short term, it's a small word after all. Yes, it is. Um, Josh Adams is somebody I'm high on, but more from a dynasty standpoint. So right now it's Corey Clement and Smallwood. Smallwood's healthy, so yes, you have no problem playing him. But Darren Sproles gets back at some point. It's a three-headed monster again. Yes. And when that happens, I still think that Clement would be the main running back with Smallwood and Sproles splitting. So I still think that Clement is the man to own if. Do you know why that's an if? Yeah. Do you know how big that if is? How big is that if? That if is as big as Le'Veon Bell's contract that he's looking for. (laughs) There are rumors that are unsubstantiated that the Eagles are going to trade for Le'Veon Bell. That would be an impressive get for the defending Super Bowl champions. Now, they just restructured Fletcher Cox's deal to free up something like $11 million this year and like $18 million next year. So people think, oh, that's why they did it. But they did that on Friday. The injury happened yesterday. So mm-hmm. people are saying that there is rumor to it. There's some saying there's no rumor to it. It'll be interesting to see what happens. With Wentz on a rookie deal and Howie Roseman being somebody that doesn't really value draft picks all that much, um, I could see it, but we'll see what happens. But that's going to be the flying the ointment with why I won't say to go whole hog and invest on one of those guys because if Bell comes to town, guess what? They're all taking a back seat on the bus. Then we have a true Bell cow. Absolutely. And then finally down in the NFC South where three teams are looking at split backfields. The New Orleans Saints, which we are watching right now, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the Buccaneers have two guys, right? Uh, technically, they have three if you include Jaquiz Rogers. No, that's true. But I was going to say they have two and they have none as far as I'm concerned. Um, exactly. So, yeah, if you own those guys, I'm sorry. I don't want them. I wouldn't pay for them. I'm not buying them cheap on the dollar. I won't let you send me a draft pick to take them. I don't want anything to do with them. I'm sorry. I don't. So there, that's Tampa Bay's out of the way. Um, in Atlanta, I believe it's really a two- horse backfield. I know we saw Ito Smith this week. That had to be frustrating to people who owned and or started either Devonta Freeman or Tevin Coleman last week to watch that happen to Mr. to see Ito Smith do that. And of course, as we say this right now, I'm looking on and uh, looks like 26 is down for the Saints now too. That's 
I, at first I thought it was Mark Ingram, but then I realized that it was actually uh, their defense on the field. So it wasn't Ingram, thankfully. Gotcha. So, so you make me tr- lose my train of thought because I'm old. What was that? Oh, Ito Smith. So what's the thing that I always say, and maybe I don't say it on the radio, on the show, but I say it on Twitter. I'm somebody that's very cautious with guys coming off injuries or suspensions, you know, stuff like that. I want to see them get back on the field and how they're used. I think that's why Ito Smith had value this week and Devontae Freeman fans – Fans, owners are probably going, oh, my God, what's going on? They, they, they want to ease him back. Mm-hmm. Ito will go back to the bench and have an extremely limited role. So I don't think we see anything change in Atlanta. Both Coleman and Freeman are ownable, startable, no questions asked. You might need to wait another week before you can safely put Freeman in the lineup, though. You, you want to know what Ito Smith equals? Ito Smith equals just one more player that's going to score in the red zone before Julio, Julio Jones. Jones. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and lastly, of course, we're watching New Orleans now. I thought that was Mark Ingram that went down. It wasn't. However, Mark Ingram did score a touchdown on the opening drive for the Saints and then in the secondary drive, fumbled the ball away. So here's what I think. One, you're going to still start Kamara, no doubt. Doesn't matter. Ingram, I believe, is going to have flex to running back two value. What this... What it does, though, is I believe it impacts not just Kamara negatively because it is going to impact him. It has to, right? The carries have to come from somewhere. Exactly. And it also is going to impact Michael Thomas a little bit. Yes. Has to. Again, if you have A plus B equals C and you add in another variable, you can't just go A and B stay the same and and I'm going to add in D and still get to C. It doesn't work that way. you got to take from one to get to the other. So – I don't think it's going to be huge. It's not going to knock either of them out of you know, being a running back one or a wide receiver one, but it just might take a little shine off. That's all. Exactly. But now, you, you forgot one other, one other team. We didn't talk about Carolina. Well, yeah, because they have a bell call back. They do? Who? Yeah, Cam Newton. That's exactly what I was going to say. You <laughs> stole it from me. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they have, CM, they have CMC, Christian McCaffrey, but it truly is like a two-back system. Because Cam yes. does steal all the goal line stuff a lot of times. Um, and I think we saw, too, look, McCaffrey needs to catch the ball to have value. Can you tell me why McCaffrey no, had no, zero catches no, through three quarters yesterday? I, I, no, I cannot. That's what I was getting at. I cannot. It doesn't make sense. But then you people, oh, he can run the ball. It needs to run. No, look what it, his value is catching the ball. So, yes. And he'll do that more often than not. So, yeah, I mean, McCaffrey's also a must start as far as I'm concerned. And if Cam had running back, you know, value, if you could plug him in as running back, sure, do it. Exactly. Well, that exhausts the running back by committee. So it just goes to show you that in this day and age, very few teams have a a bell cow back. So, I mean, it kind of puts a little shine away from the whole idea of, going with running backs early in fantasy football and zero running back theorem, possibly getting another possible boost towards the top. Yeah. You know, we didn't talk much about Zeke cause he's a bell cow, but we'll talk about him in our next upcoming segment. I think when we do DFS, but um, yeah, I mean, I do, there's value for those guys that definitely are the bell cows. Injuries always concerned, but they definitely have value if you can get them. So, but it's like starting. Somebody started a game. That it doesn't matter anymore who starts. Everything's so specialized. You know, if a team comes out with four wide receivers on the field, your defense isn't going to have the same starters it would normally. It's not because somebody's not good and they didn't start. It's just we're, it's a specialized game right now, and specialist is the name of the game. And if I were a coach or an NFL team, I think I'd be trying to find me a kicker that can kick and punt. And I'm, and by punt, I mean punt with a right leg and a left leg and kick a field goal more than 40 yards. Who's the one? Is it Seattle that has the uh, former rugby kicker punting for them now who has like 10 different kicks? Yeah, something like that. He'll get a lot of of practice up there in Seattle too. Uh, Seeing as how you're talking about Zeke, do we want to start the uh, DFS segment off with the running back position this week? No, we won't. We'll start at quarterback, but I'm going to say this first before we get there. You were right. I was wrong. Since we we were last talking about Seattle just now, I thought that the Seattle Rams game was going to be a low-scoring affair. You thought it was high-scoring. At the end of the day, you were right. It worked out. So, Again, uh, I, I had Gurley going for me in a couple of those games, and I had Gurley going against me in a couple of those games. So 
You're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Play enough, that's exactly what it is. Somebody hurts you, somebody helps you. But let's go ahead and start with quarterback. Um, first, give a number. What are we going to agree on this week? Let me see. Hold on. One, two. I'm going to go high, which is dangerous. I'm going to say six. Oh, boy. Uh, I am going to say the under. I'm going to take four. Okay. Watch us hit in the middle. All right. You want, you want me to start? Go ahead. Matt Ryan is playing at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who cannot. There's only one team that's probably worse at stopping opposing passing offenses than the Falcons, and that's probably the Buccaneers. Well, we're ding-ding on the first one here, Matt Ryan. 6,800, uh, 8,300 on FanDuel. Uh, despite already having had their bye, Tampa Bay still – has allowed the third most total passing yards this year. Yep. On a per-game average, they're allowing over 370 yards per game through the air to opposing quarterbacks to go along with 3.25 passing touchdowns per game. It's absurd how bad they are. Uh, Matt Ryan should eat in this game. He should have ate last week, too, and he, he didn't get going. He started to have some problems a little bit later. I think this is his game, though. Guess what? We're also going to agree on who we're going to avoid to this week. Interesting. Who are we staying away from? We're staying away from Mr. Ben Roethlisberger on the road in, in Cincinnati. Uh, I, I didn't go that way. Sorry. Oh, come on, Harley. Come <laughs> I, on. I'm staying away from the number one running back in Carolina, Cam Newton, <laughs> at Washington. Okay. Uh, only seven teams are allowing fewer passing touchdowns per game than Washington, and no one is allowing fewer passing yards per game than Washington. Plus, get this. Since the start of last year, since week one of twenty of 2017, they have allowed an average of 12 rushing yards per game to opposing quarterbacks, and only one running back has scored a rushing t- only one quarterback has scored a rushing touchdown against them since the start of last year. You know what that means? He's due. He's going to have three rushing touchdowns this weekend. Exactly. <laughs> He'll throw for for 126 yards, but he's going to have three rushing touchdowns this weekend. I really thought that for sure you would take Roethlisberger on the road. Um, I think that as high-priced as he is, and again, quarterbacks really priced down again, um, anytime you can avoid Roethlisberger on the road, I think it's worth it because just the odds tend to favor that he just doesn't perform the same. Now, I think we might actually match up on value play because this week there really isn't a lot of good value plays at quarterback. Uh, I'm going to go with... Baker Mayfield versus the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers have allowed the seventh most passing touchdowns per game. And since taking over in week three, Baker Mayfield has thrown for more yardage than Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, Dak Prescott, and Russell Wilson. So I did look at Baker, but no, I did not go with Baker. I went with somebody, I went with somebody that I, I still don't really feel good about. But the only reason I went with him is because he's playing at home and the team he's facing just gave up 342 passing yards to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> also gave up, let's see, what was it here? Who's DW? Um, oh, Deshaun Watson, 310 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Carson Wentz, 348 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Josh Allen, 82 yards and one interception, but forget that. <laughs> um, so... Baltimore is a tough defense, but they are on the road. Just played a tough game, so I'm going Marcus Mariota as my my value play. Interesting. It's, okay. it's not something I feel great about. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not. I, I never feel great about starting Tennessee member of their offense, yes. except for maybe Corey Davis, because you don't know what you're going to get. I looked at I looked at Mitchell Trubisky too, but he's on the road, and I didn't like that. So, all right. Yep. Let's go to running back. Run on over there. Tell me who who are you um, paying up for? I think we'll. Well, in, in in the truest terms of the words, paying up for the first time all season, we have a running back above five figures, and that's Todd Gurley at ten thousand on DraftKings, ninety five hundred on FanDuel. I hate to pay this much, but Gurley has been absolutely on fire. He has more touchdowns this year than the Buffalo Bills, a- and Denver. They've been gorged by Kareem Hunt and Isaiah Kowal on consecutive weeks here. Throw in that the Rams may be without their top two receivers. This could be a fairly big game for Gurley. That is why I did not pay up for Gurley, because of the possible loss of the receivers, allowing Denver to stack the box a little bit more so. 
that price is just, um, but if there's a guy that's worth it, it's him. There's no doubt about that. But no, the guy I'm going to pay up for is Melvin Gordon. Don't love yes. his don't love his matchup going on the road to Cleveland, but his involvement in the passing game just makes him a safe play. So if I'm going to pay up, I think three times value at 82, 88 is very very possible with him. I, I actually totally agree. And if I wasn't making the obvious super pay up play, uh, I, I actually have given him a green rating for this weekend. And when people when I say green rating. If you read the Daily Dominator at thehuddle.com every week, uh, we give players that are expected to return three times value a green rating, players that are not expected to return value a red rating, and players that are expected to return less than three times value but still overvalue a just a straight black rating. So uh, he's the top running back on my list with the green rating this week is Melvin Gordon. He's got the best shot at triple performance, uh, three-time points. And he's who I really thought we were going to agree on, so now I really don't think we're getting the six. I do think we may dis- may agree on who we're going to avoid, though. Go ahead. I'm avoiding Zeke Elliott. Bing! Playing Jacksonville. I mean, listen, if your coach doesn't believe in you enough to go for it on fourth and one on your side of the 50-yard line in overtime, I can't believe enough to put you in the damn lineup against one of the better defenses in the league. And you know what? His price is a little bit down this week because it is Jacksonville. That might make him the ultimate contrarian play this week. Yeah, no. But I, I, just, I don't want to take that risk with a good portion of your budget, uh, particularly since Jordan Howard is actually a little bit below him. I like Jordan Howard at his price range. And Joe Mixon's just a little bit above yeah. him. And I like Joe Mixon at his price point this let week. Me, let me ask you a question. You've heard of eight in the box. Yes. How many could somebody feasibly put in the box against Dallas and Dallas still not pass for 200 yards? Ten. Well, they do have they do have Jeff Swaim now. Ten, Ten. exactly. Ten. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's just outside of what Tavon Austin had like a forty four yard catch or something like that, and that was on that crazy escape that Dak made. Um, it there was like I think I saw a tweet something like seventeen different wide receivers had more catches and yards than the Dallas Cowboy wide receivers did combined. So we're not going to rush out to the waiver wire and pick up Alan Hearns because he finally no, caught a touchdown? No, not going to happen. Exactly. Um, here's I had a problem with my value play. I really did. Um, I've got two guys. One is a complete – everybody would say, what the heck are you talking about? Um, so I'll give him – he's, he's going to be my B, but I'm going to tell you who my A is. And it's because – Who's I, your A? I think it's game script that's going to help him, which would make – Zero sense for why I said that his quarterback was a value play, but I like Derrick Henry this week. Hmm. That that's really interesting because I, I I'm uh, not a plum to starting either of those guys there until one, one either goes down or they're facing a better, like an easier defense. And Baltimore is is no gimme. No, they're not. That's just it. I don't think his carry or stat line from a yardage standpoint is going to look pretty. But I think he gets in multiple times this weekend. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with a potential injury replacement value pick, and that's Latavius Murray against Arizona. Uh, this is all, again, assuming that Delvin Cook does not suit up. Right now, he remains questionable. There's, it's sounding like he's trending to possibly playing this week, and if Delvin Cook plays, he'll probably still be on a snap count. This past week, Minnesota went out of their way to get the running game more involved. It still wasn't overly effective, but you could tell that they were at least trying. Uh, Latavius had, uh, I'm sorry, not Latavius, but the running back team as a whole had 18 touches, which is still only 25% of their total plays. But we compare that to the fact they had six touches a couple weeks ago. That's a huge step up. Now, the Cardinals have allowed nine running back scores this year. But even if Delvin Cook comes back, Latavius has a chance to vulture a score at the goal line. So I, I think with the game script and Minnesota having a huge lead early on, they're going to get the opportunity to run the ball in the second half, and that should mean big work for Latavius and or Cook. Okay, so you want me to tell you who the player was that I said if I said, said his name, everybody's going to look at me like I'm an idiot? We might agree on this one. I don't know, but go ahead. <laughs> the team is coming off a bye. Um, I think that we see Ronald Jones get the bulk of the carries – against a Falcons team that has given up the third most points to fantasy running backs this year. The only, you know, I totally agree. 
The only thing I'm a little hesitant on is they've actually been okay against the run from running backs. Most of the points they've given up have been through the air to opposing running backs. I still think that Barber and or uh, Jaquiz Rogers is going to be that guy for Tampa. But yes, I, I did give Jones a, a, a green grade as well because his price is only 3900 on yep. DraftKings. should be really easy for him to get three times value on that. The guy I thought you might go with is Jalen Richard, who we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, Seattle uh, just got completely hosed by uh, Gurley there. And uh, for whatever reason, you, you don't know what you're going to get in that Oakland backfield. It's, it's Marshawn Lynch's game. But Jalen Richard lives in it, so unless he's going to keep getting touches. Unless it's fourth and goal from the one, then they pass it. Um, no, I just <laughs> having having had the buy, I just have a feeling that they are going to do what they can to. There's no better time for them to try and force feed this guy into their lineup. Exactly. So that's what it comes down to. It's more mental, a mental thing that I see coming than anything else, and it's a decent enough matchup that I still think that he'll be the one that they try to get the ball to on passing down. So he's cheap enough that you could roll the dice on him, but I couldn't make him my value play because he's too risky at wide receiver. I believe that we would have agreed if I'd stayed with the first person I had and not pivoted to the other person that I want to go to. Okay. Well, I'm going to pay up at wide receiver for Mike Evans at Atlanta. We hit that was your other choice, right? Let's see if you can see it. I'm going to show it to you here. I've I'm got, looking. See where it says Evans and then slash, and then I circled the other guy? Yep. Evans was who I first wanted, and then I looked at it and I said, you know what? No, can't do it. Julio Jones is $200 cheaper. There's no way. I mean, I love Mike Evans this week. He should have been the one that I said but that I'm going to pay up for, especially since he's $8,100. But Julio being priced lower, and Mike has problems you know, getting consistent looks and yardage. At times, so I think Julio goes off this weekend and he gets his TDs, and it's a multiple TD game. Yeah, you know my my thing. You can't go wrong again. Much like this past week with Atlanta versus Pittsburgh, uh, definitely game script suggested that was going to be a high scoring game. This game's going to be high scoring as well. Uh, Mike Evans uh, going against an Atlanta team that's allowed an average of 15 catches and 195 receiving yards to opposing wide receivers, plus 10 touchdowns to opposing right. wide receivers. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Fitzpatrick in there or Janice Winston. They're both going to lean to Evans a lot. Uh, Adam Humphreys makes a sneaky surprise play in this game, I think, as well. Uh, he was one of uh, Mr. Winston's favorite targets, a little bit more so even than Chris Godwin. Uh, and I think uh, normally I would say, obviously, Deshaun Jackson in a high-scoring game. But in effect, a lot of Deshaun Jackson's looks went to Adam Humphreys when Winston came in. So think about that a little bit. Maybe don't get too anxious to put Deshaun Jackson into this potential shootout. So now let me ask you a question. I know we're running long, but oh well. If Julio Jones had right now on his resume for this year, three to four touchdowns, right? Total total catch volume, total yardage volume, and three to four touchdowns, how much would he be priced this week? Uh, 7,709,000. That's what you think. He'd be he'd be up in that range, right? Yes. I think he'd be closer to the 9,000 no matter what, honestly. Um, so in fantasy football, what are the three hardest things to project? Interceptions. Yes. Touchdowns. Yes. And sacks. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to ter- throw safeties in there, that's probably the hardest. So it's easier to project the yards and the catches – but yet people want to look at the lack of touchdowns as a negative, which it is, right? It is. But look at how much easier he is to project, and then you say that if he does hit the touchdown rate, it's all gravy. Well, every single year, Julio has that one game where he scores three touchdowns and goes over 200 yards. Yes. It. You, you want to be on the side of having Julio in your lineup the week that that happens. Well, I won't be shocked if it's this week. Um, who's your uh, stay? Who are you staying away from? Well, I comically mentioned the price tag of seventy seven hundred and nine thousand for what I thought Julio would be at if he had the touchdowns going this year. So I'm going to choose a guy that's like that. He's got a lot of catches, a fair amount of yards, and he actually has three or four touchdowns this year. And that's DeAndre Hopkins versus Buffalo. Now, as the defensive uh, individual defensive player specialist that you are, uh, you can tell our listeners the name of Buffalo's one defensive player 
that is actually worth a damn, uh, the cornerback there. Tredavious White. Thank you. And uh, he is going to be shadowing DeAndre Hopkins. Now, when you look at Deshaun Watson, he proved last week that he's matchup proof. And he's now has three legitimate weapons at wide receiver to throw to because Will Fuller has obviously been his banky for the last couple of, uh, last couple of years. And now Kiki Hute has looked very, very good in his first two games out. Plus, yesterday we saw nine targets go to Ryan Griffin. And I actually got on Twitter and, and like shed a few tears and poured a glass out for uh, my good friend C.J. Fedorowicz, who I had many dynasty shares of last year, only to witness him suffer a career-ending injury, who would have been the guy getting those nine targets this year if he was still around. But yep. a lot of weapons to throw to. Tough matchup for Hopkins. $9,000 price tag. I'm staying away. So here's where I was leaning initially. Patrick Peterson is one heck of a cornerback, right? Exactly. But who does he cover in Minnesota? Does he cover Thielen exclusively? Does he cover Diggs? Yep. Does yep. he cover both of them? So Does it matter? I think that there's good sound reasoning to avoid both of them because of that. But because this is a straight avoid, right? Yeah. I can't say that because I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. So I'm going, I'm with you. I, I say DeAndre Hopkins, who seems to produce no matter what, but um, and he's at home, so that almost made me not go with him and go with one of those Minnesota guys. But um, Tredavious White's no joke. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, I, I think we'll see Peterson go back and forth. And if, if you think about where they line up, Thielen lines up in the slot a lot. And I don't believe Peterson goes into the slot very much anymore. He did early right. in his career, but now he chooses to stay on one side. So he'll probably get more alignment against Stephon Diggs. Diggs. Yep. Uh, so probably if I had to choose between the two of them, I'd go Thielen. But right now, it, it doesn't really matter. You could have triple coverage on a guy, and Kirk <laughs> Cousins is still threading the needle to these two. It, it's, it's just ridiculous to see the catches that they're making, and more importantly, the throws that he's making – uh, yeah. I don't like the price tag on either of them. They're starting to climb up there, but at the same time, I, I'd i be scared to not have some exposure to them. So I really thought that you may have paid up for Julio instead of Evans. And because you didn't, we're not going to agree on our value play more than likely. Interesting. Um, because I'm going with the guy in Tampa, Chris Godwin. Uh, yeah. See, I could have gone with Adam Humphreys there to, just to play the counter effect to that. But, uh, you could have. <laughs> uh, I'm actually staying in the same game, though, as well. And I'm taking the number two receiver for Atlanta, Muhammad Sanu. Sanu. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Tampa Bay has allowed multiple wide receiver scores in every game except for the Philadelphia matchup, where Philadelphia started zero wide receivers. Now, strangely enough, in that game, Philadelphia still scored a touchdown with a wide receiver, despite not starting one. Uh, despite the touchdown advantage Kelvin Ridley has, he's still technically the number three receiver, and Sanu is still technically the number two. Yep. He has more targets, targets than Ridley, and he also has more touchdowns than Julio, in case you didn't know. My grandma has more touchdowns than Julio, and God rest her soul. She's Lin- up in heaven. Linval Joseph has more receiving touchdowns this year. <laughs> yeah, he does. That's that's a shame. Okay, so for me to get this right, we got to go three for three at tight end. It's not going to happen. We're going to go two for three. I agree, two for three here. Um, paying up, I think it's easy. I think it's it's Jordan Reed all day long that you pay. Ding, up ding, ding. Yes, and uh, yeah, you can okay. tell tell everybody why. Carolina has allowed large tight end performances to both Atlanta and Cincinnati this year, and, and realistically, I mean, both those teams have okay tight ends. Reed is the best tight end they've faced all season, and it's not close. Uh, his price tag, he's among the highest right now. Uh, and that's not saying much because a lot of the teams with the premier tight ends are either A, hurt, B, on by, C, playing Thursday or Sunday morning or Monday night football, or, or D, they just have bad matchups. Jordan Reed's the best of the remaining. So I just noticed the score, and do you think people that own Alvin Kamara are a little bit concerned with Melvin Ingram coming back right now or Mark Ingram uh, coming back right now? I have, I have a strange feeling that Alvin Kamara owners are like, cowering into the fetal position at this point. You know what I think they look like? I think they look like Dak last night when he was doing that motion with his lips in slow motion. You remember that? Yes, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, I mean, whew, three carries, eight yards, two, two catches, 11 yards. Oh, the, the, 
they're going to be mass hysteria tomorrow for Camaro owners. So if you know one in your league and he's overreacts to stuff, send out the offers. Right? Exactly. And okay. watch, your, watch your emails, watch your waiver, because I guarantee you the Camaro owners are going to be putting offers out to you too. Yeah. And they're going to be juicy. And take advantage of it now. Okay, so back to the DFS and the tight end part. I had to actually double look at this because, take a double take, because I saw Eric Ebron as a top-priced tight end, and I went, (laughs) did did something get cut off here? We're only at $5,400 on top of it all. Um, I think that Ebron is an easy fade this week. Um, I totally agree. We've got the match there, So there you go. So. Yeah, no, I'm now just now going back through the – the DraftKings list here, just to make sure no one got cut off at the tight end position. But nope, the top price tight end this week on DraftKings is Eric Ebron at fifty four hundred, which uh, people are going to be chasing the numbers from last week. And first off, I always say don't chase the numbers. <laughs> oh, that's what, but, and that's what both sites are doing. They're chasing the numbers. I, I've never seen anything like that. First off, the Jets don't give up yardage or touchdowns to opposing tight ends. They they haven't in years. They don't score or they don't play with their tight ends. They don't give up tight end touchdowns or yardage. Do you really trust Eric Ebron to score big in back-to-back games? Look, Most you, years he has one every seven games or so. Look, you know I liked Ebron this year. I told you he was a value, and I was all in on him, right? You know yes. that. Um, but look at the Jets, and they rank 31st in points, fantasy points allowed to tight ends this year. And there's no way I'm paying top dollar for him. Just not happening. Now... Had I went with Mike Evans like my gut said initially instead of trying to be cute with Julio, right? Yes. We'd be at six. But we're, at, we're in the middle right now. We're at five. One, two, three, four. Yep, we're at five. I've got two guys, and I think one of them is your, is your value play. Trying to figure out which one of them is key. <laughs> Both in the same game, maybe? Both on the same team. Ooh. Interesting. That tells me that we don't agree then. I'm trying to decide between Tyler Croft and Azuma. Between the two, I would lean Azuma. I actually have him favored slightly, but that is not the guy I'm going with. Who are you going with? I'm going to the wall on the Atlanta-Tampa Bay game again. God, he's not cheap enough to be a value play. Uh, you know what? After looking now at his FanDuel price, his FanDuel price is high. I, I would agree with that. It's a little too high for no. for the value type option. So, full disclosure, you're not. I'm going to try and show it to you. I had Hooper written first, crossed him out. Then I had Vance McDonald, crossed him out, and then I went Zuma Croft, and I circled Croft. See if you can see that right there at the bottom. Yep. Okay. Why did I cross Hooper out? I crossed Hooper out because I did the Ryan Julio stack. I didn't want to do the Ryan Julio Hooper stack. That's exact. If I'd have done Evans, Hooper would have been my value play probably. Well, I saw. I'll, I'll be happy going with the Ryan Sanu Hooper stack and then saving up money to spend big at running back here. There you go. And if I would have gone to the Ryan Hooper instead of Julio, so I would have done Evans and Hooper. We'd have agreed on seven. Wow, it's a game uh, of inches. Here's the thing about Tampa Bay's defense here. Uh, through four games, yeah. They're allowing an average of over 100 yards per game to the tight end position. <laughs> yes. I, Cleveland in their worst years, the New York Giants in their worst years, none of them allowed 100 yards per game to the position. Tampa Bay is. Yeah, no, that's he's a, he's a solid play. He was there. I, I tried to get cute. I know you like those Cincinnati tight ends when Eifert's out. I, I really thought that that might have been the play you went with because they've got a great matchup also. You want to know who I real? Uh, there's two really bargain basement tight ends I like this week too. We talked one a little bit of, about one a little bit earlier, and that's Ryan Griffin, who's starting to get some love in Houston. Uh, he's facing Buffalo, a very easy matchup there at league minimum on both sites. And also, you know, we we pitched for Austin Safarian Jenkins last week in a game he should have done good in. He got hurt early. He's now out for the year. Yep. Uh, his replacement Niles Paul was targeted a ton in the second half. Price is twenty six hundred on uh, DraftKings, forty eight hundred on FanDuel. Facing a Dallas team that uh, had trouble with Ryan Griffin last week or last night, I should say. So those are two guys bargain basement you can plug in at tight end this week too. And by the way, you said the Buccaneers and what they've given up to tight ends. The Steelers have given up more points to tight ends this year than the Buccaneers. So I still stand one more game though. Yeah. Okay. So what? <laughs> still, they they're a solid play. So, but you know, you just don't know which one of them is going to be 
the guy and Croft could have like you know two catches for five yards for two touchdowns. Same for Azuma. Um, exactly. But anyway, that's about going to do it. Anything you want to add before we get on up out of here? No, it was a fun show today. Yep. Hopefully, um, people are starting to make headway because we're basically almost to the midway point of the fantasy season now. Um, so you got to start thinking about what you're going to do down your stretch run to make the playoffs. So until then, um, make sure that you're following Harley at Nuclear Harley. You can follow me at Steve Gallo NFL. And of course, if you're listening to us at the huddle, that's great. But if you're listening to us at iTunes, feel free to rate us, review us, and do all that kind of stuff. Um, and until next week, as always, get blitz responsible. Cheers. Cheers.